Roger Berkowitz. I'm Larry Golko, and this is Name Brands, the podcast about the story behind the brand. So, Larry, I'm curious as I look at you, <laughs> what, what's your favorite donut? Boston cream. Boston cream. And I'll I'm, tell you why. All right, I'm a, jerry, I'm a jelly crawler kind of guy yeah. myself, but go ahead. Well, Boston cream, I'll tell you why. I have a friend who's a nutritionist in New York City, and she says the best donut, because of the fluffiness not being dense and all the other ingredients, as far as caloric and some health benefit, the Boston cream is the best donut. I'm not sure the health benefit really fits in uh, to that conversation. The little little Boston cream, the the, uh, the protein, the uh, (laughs) calcium. I'm going to stick to my jelly crawler. Thank you. But definitely not like the heavy-duty donuts that are really heavy versus light. Okay. Well, the undisputed brand leader in donuts is, of course, Dunkin' Donuts. And today's guest is the CEO of Dunkin', Nigel Travis. Here's a conversation Larry and I had with him a few weeks back. So, so Nigel, here you are, an Englishman, coming to uh, Dunkin' Donuts, running Dunkin' Donuts. Is this foreshadowing crumpets uh, and, and English high tea? No, 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 no. I keep saying every Independence Day, you need to look out there in the ocean in Boston Harbor and watch out. We're coming back. So uh, it's, uh, no, no, you're not going to have crumpets and you're not going to have cream teas. So particularly as we're a beverage-led brand. Okay, well, well, tea I could kind of see. High yeah, tea well, would be we, interesting. Actually, we already do tea and it's fascinating that uh, I was somewhere, I can't remember where, but I had a, a driver and I said to him, Look, can I get you a coffee? I'm going into this store. And he said, I don't drink coffee. I said, well, what about tea? You don't sell tea. So mm. I took him in yeah. and he, he was amazed by the teas that we had. So um, I'm converting people every day. Very good. Very good. But the Brits, you need to watch out for the Brits <laughs> on July the 4th. Okay. So now you're taking up the present day. Dunkin' Donuts started about 67 years ago by the Rosenbergs. Yeah. And now it seems like you're embarking on really a variety of bold and disruptive strategies, the main one being the rebranding from Dunkin' Donuts to Dunkin'. Okay, well, the first thing I want to say, make it very clear, that uh, we, there's no decision about rebranding the company. I think everyone is making mm-hmm. the assumption we're going to rebrand it, and uh, it, it's just something we're, mm-hmm. we're thinking about. We're testing in a few stores. There'll be a store in Quincy going up in a uh, couple of months, that uh, we'll have Dunkin' on. We've got another store downtown. There's stores in California. Mm-hmm. But that is just a test. There is no decision. And let me explain why. I mean, I think, you know, your listeners will be interested in some of the thinking here. And I know a lot of people are fascinated by it. I had a, a friend of mine send a text two weeks ago saying, Nigel, why did you convert it? I said, well, we're not converting it. We're testing it. She said it dominated the whole dinner conversation. Yeah, so, like so... You know, we're trying to update our brand, as you said, Larry, continuously. And you said before we started, it seems to be this huge flurry of activity. Well, it's always the same. I mean, anyone who works at Dunkin' is used to a lot of activity. But, you know, we went back two years ago. We did a lot of research, 10,000 consumer um, viewpoints. We brought all this together. And the big thing that came out is that we're a beverage-led morning brand in particular. Now, just to be clear, we're not ignoring the afternoon, we're Mm -hmm. not ignoring the evening, though occasionally I go to Roger's stores when I want good fish. Uh, 
But, uh, <laughs> or probably restaurants, I should call them. They didn't call them stores. We call yeah. them stores too, actually. Yeah. yeah. When, so, are you, when are you going to create a fish donut? Uh, no. <laughs> well, we're not because I don't want to upset Roger. But, um, a fish cake he could do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so we did all this research. We then pulled it together. And, and we're working through how to roll that out, how to operationalize it. And one of the things that came out of the research is that a lot of people call our brand different names. Some people call it Dunks. You know, <laughs> the drivers yep. that we have call it Dunks. Uh, now, I didn't grow up around here, as Roger quite rightly pointed out. <laughs> uh, so, it, so I've never called it Dunks, but I call it Duncan. Now, uh, uh, other people in the business call it DD. So it's a bunch of names. So we're trying to work out what is right. And, and in making this decision, it's not just what is right in Boston. Uh, and I know this program is going to go out across the country and maybe even the world. But we've got over 5,000 stores in Asia called Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. And, and donuts right. are um, the biggest product of their mix by far. You know, some of those stores have 80, 90 percent. Donuts. We've even got some stores in Thailand that are just donuts. You know, I, I've actually seen one in Chiang Mai. This is about 15 years ago I saw a Dunkin' there. Right. Yeah, well, you know, we've got, like, the Philippines got over 700 stores, 800 stores in Korea. Mm-hmm. So this is a big decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will get input from franchisees, obviously more consumers. We'll see how people react to the test stores. But I think, I think a point for your program that is very important, we test everything. We mm-hmm. don't just roll it out. Right. And we want to get feedback. Yeah. Uh, no, so te- we- testing is very important. And I, I suppose the big conundrum, uh, particularly around a name, is that does the name really supersede the content? I mean, if you, I'm sure you've thought of, you know, look at what uh, Radio Shack did. Radio Shack yep. wanted to rebrand, and they called it the Shack because they thought radio was obsolete. And then they ended up going right back to it. So sometimes I'm sort of a fan of keeping things the same because it's what's familiar. And it's sort of as opposed to teaching someone something else. But that's just what well, I mean. It is interesting. I mean, I've never known anything in my uh, eight and a half years here that's generated so much discussion. I mean, <laughs> even, even, you know, I have an interesting mix of kids. I've got a 37-year-old who lives in England. I've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. The 12-year-old and the 10-year-old are dead against changing the name. Interesting. Interesting. They think it's a a bad move. And, Dad, you're not going to do that, are you? I mean, that's the kind of... So there's the answer, right? It's the exact opposite. (laughs) But last week I was in Singapore, and I tested all those Southeast Asian franchisees that we had. And I I do this a lot. I, I like to engage with our franchisees, and we have great discussions, and I encourage them to challenge me. Uh, Quick plug for my book that's coming out next year on the challenge culture but anyway uh, and we had a vote and they voted two thirds in favour of Dunkin which surprised me given the fact that they have so many donuts that are sold in their stores now just for years I mean years ago go back decades you went to a Dunkin Donuts half or maybe more was donuts you might have had 20-30 donuts yeah. maybe some other muffins or whatever today it's a whole different uh, mix now if I'm if I'm, if I'm not mistaken Eight percent of your sales in Dunkin' Donuts today are donuts. Only eight well, percent. You, right? you you are mistaken. Okay. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it it is more than that. Okay. Um, but the key fact that we always put out because we don't actually break down our product mix 
the key fact is that 60% of our U.S. stores are beverages. Uh, the mix is beverages, mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. which is obviously coffee, mm -hmm. and then it's ice, frozen drinks. Uh, and just to repeat, because a lot of people forget this, right. we are the leader in drip coffee in the country. We're the leader in iced coffee in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we've continued to innovate with cold brew last year. Nitro, we're testing in over 600 stores right now. And mm. by the time this goes out, probably more. Right. Um, so we constantly innovate, but we are a beverage company in the US. The point I was making earlier, Larry, is we've got to consider that in some parts of the world, we're donut-led. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the challenges of being a global brand. Growing up in, in London, who are some of your heroes in terms of entrepreneurs or brands that, you, that may have informed some of your thinking today? Um, well, my dad was kind of a hero. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so my dad left the company he worked for when I was seven, which was in 1957. And then I remember we didn't go on vacation for like seven years because we didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And he then put all the, a lot of um, supplies in our garage, garage in England. And, and what, what kind they, of company was it? Well, it was, a, it was paper and string originally, and mm -hmm. then he moved into toy wholesaling. So I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, and mm -hmm. gradually that business evolved. And, and it's interesting, eventually the business went through several iterations. And I, I never wanted to go into the business, but my brother stayed in it. And eventually he sold it to uh, Party City, which is owned by another Boston firm, T.H. Lee. Oh, right. I'd never really, I don't think I really thought about entrepreneurs when I was a kid, because mm. I grew up as an HR person. It's not until I really got to Burger King I really thought about entrepreneurialism. Um, and in 91, my boss, a guy called Barry Gibbons, who's written three very funny books, uh, and the funniest book is called if you want to make God laugh, show him a business plan. Um, and, and he said to me one day, he said, Nigel, why don't you go and run something? I said, I just want to be a very successful HR person. He said, no, no, you're too involved in the business, mate. Uh, go and run it. So I was sent back to Europe to run Europe, Middle East and Africa for Burger King. So I remember getting the team together in London and say, listen, I've, I'm here. I know not much about finance. I know not much about marketing. I know not much about operations. You guys are going to teach me. And, and I, I think what I did, I managed to instill the trust in these people. And I think that was a defining moment because yeah. if I'd failed then, I would never have made it through. Right, right. But it also kind of helped me think a lot about this concept, which you know, I'm writing about, about the challenge. I want people to challenge each other. And, and one of the things that I think happens in most businesses is the lack of challenge upwards. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all in it together. I mean, this is interesting. Having bought a football team in London now mm -hmm. that was incredibly poorly what, what, run. What is a football uh, team? Late Orient in East London. Uh -huh. Yeah, we went down two divisions in three years. <laughs> under, under the, uh, under the I'm not, I'm not a, 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 a you know English yeah. football fan, but it doesn't sound yeah, great. Yeah, but, it, but it's not good. Um, Are they going to be selling Dunkin' Donuts coffee there? Uh, that's a question <laughs> I get a lot. We're certainly going to be selling Baskin Robbins. Yeah. Going back to the quality yeah. of coffee, that's kind of tough to do in stadiums. But the point mm -hmm. I make is, right from the start, 
we've encouraged people to understand that even though we're the owners, we're in this together. You should challenge us. Mm -hmm. and, and for some people, it's been quite tough. I mean, this is breaking long-standing barriers that the boss can be challenged. Mm -hmm. Let me go back a little bit to the DNA of Duncan. Uh, I was fortunate enough to grow up in Boston. I think I'm fortunate enough to grow up in Boston. But anyway, <laughs> you are. Uh, I, thank you. But I, I've known some people over the years. I was fortunate enough to know Bill Rosenberg. And a number of years ago, he told me a story about company DNA. So one of the things he told me, how he got started, he used to do lunch trucks, uh, you know, during World War yeah. II. And he used to go around to factories and sell them. And, and he was always known for a ham sandwich, a particular ham sandwich. And things got tight during World War II. And he wanted to keep the price of the sandwich the same, so he removed a piece of ham. And he was going to one of the factories, and one of the workers took him and threw him up against the wall and said, look it, we love your sandwiches. We don't care what they cost, but don't screw around with the quality of the sandwich. And he said he never forgot that lesson. And when he started Dunkin' Donuts, he said that was always in the back of his mind. So the question I have for you is, how much of that DNA from then is still in the company today? Okay, so that's a great question. And by the way, I've never heard that story, so thanks for telling me. But I, I agree with what Bob said, because at various times in my life, you know, I was at Papa John's before, Blockbuster, which is less relevant for this conversation, mm -hmm. and Burger King before that. When you go into recessionary times, and I'm sure you've gone through mm -hmm. this sure. in your company, yep. there's a tendency to take bits and pieces out of the products. Guess what? The bits and pieces has become a lot. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what companies tend to do. So I think that, that was a very good lesson and one I would support from my experiences. So I didn't grow up in Boston, um, and I think that's good and bad. Firstly, this is a wonderful city that, you know, I'm here for good, just for the record. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. a Bostonian now, <laughs> um, and I love living here. This city has got things that I don't think most Bostonians really realize the jewel it is. I, mean, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just one thing. I mean, a lot of people still think of the harbor as smelly and dirty. <laughs> as no, I'm it's cleaned a big up boater, now. Yeah. It is fantastic. I mean, you can go into the water. So it, it's a great city. But Dunkin' Donuts clearly had a place in the hearts of everyone around here, mm -hmm. but not necessarily elsewhere. I mean, if you go back in our history over many years, we've opened and closed markets several times. You know, mm -hmm. California was one example mm -hmm. and other places around the world. So I think we've tried very hard, and my predecessor, mm -hmm. who, Roger, I know you know, was John Luther, mm -hmm. worked very hard at trying to transform the brand to bring it up to date, but to keep the legacy of those, as you said, Larry, 67 years. And, and we do have a broad selection of donuts now, mm -hmm. even as we simplify the menu. Um, I think over time, and going right back to the Rosenberg start, mm -hmm. he realized the value of coffee. Mm -hmm. I think what, what he would be doing if he was still here now mm -hmm. is realizing that coffee has grown and grown and grown. And I'm not going right. to make any health claims about coffee. No, it's but, good. It's healthy. Yeah, yeah, I will yeah. make a health claim. Yeah. Yeah, Harvard right. School of Public Health says it's healthy, and you should be drinking seven cups of it a day. You know, but, just my, the other night, Malcolm Marshall, who's the chief um, physician here at, at uh, CBS uh, WBZ, said a study that just came out two days ago, just heard two nights ago, that drinking four cups of coffee will enhance your health and enhance the opportunity for you to live longer. Just came out two nights ago. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's consistent with some others, but we deliberately do not go out and push that because, you know, things can sometimes bounce the other way. But but the point I'm making is if you go back to the DNA, it was about donuts and coffee. Right. And I think it's an interesting question that comes out of that, Roger, is if you look at international, one of the first things I did when I got involved in our international business was try and push the sandwiches that have been incredibly successful mm-hmm. in Dunkin' US. Mm-hmm. The sandwiches have grown quarter by quarter for several quarters, so mm-hmm. we're very pleased with sandwiches, despite the fact that we're pushing beverage. The beverages pull the sandwiches through. So I tried to push the sandwiches into international. Looking back, that's probably a mistake. On Dunkin' International, which to be honest, hasn't been our most successful business, we're going much more back to donuts and coffee. You know, getting back to the basics or the basic DNA. The point I want to make is I think people often forget that when you come into a company and you stay there for some time Mm -hmm. and you've run your company for a long time, Mm -hmm. you often have to go back and redo stuff that you did. Mm -hmm. And and I think a lot of people are loath to do it. I actively encourage my people to challenge things that I did several years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very good discipline. And I think questions like yours, what is the DNA of Dunkin' Donuts, is something that in any brand you have to consider. Mm-hmm. So how do you maintain the core and yet evolve at the exactly, same time? Exactly. I think the holy grail for our industry is delivery. Right. And I don't think any, yeah. anyone in this country has yet realized how big this is going to be. Yes. Mm-hmm. You go into international, it is phenomenal. One of our franchisees in one country, I won't say which, has uh, KFCs. He put delivery in three stores and they're up 30%. Mm-hmm. And he said, Nigel, it's incredible. Some of our customers, particularly students, live above the store and have it delivered. <laughs> so, so this is actually, so this is a new yeah, phenomenon. And, I, and I, I think you're right on target with it. And, and it seems to be driven by millennials. So millennials now represent maybe 55% of the population and, and, and yeah. growing. How much thought and research do you do with millennials in, in terms of strategizing? Well, we do a lot. I mean, I think it's probably fair to say a lot of our new strategy came from mm-hmm. work we did with the millennials. Remember I talked about the 10,000 consumer touch points we did two years? Mm-hmm. A lot of those are millennials. But, and I think you would agree with this, you've got to be careful you don't alienate a lot of your... Well, that's, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have a place in Naples, Florida, mm-hmm. um, Boston Connection, spring training, um, uh-huh. and I watch some of our customers down there. You know, they take a long time, and this is interesting, they take a long time to choose their donuts, which slows up the lines, Right. <laughs> you know, but you don't want yeah. to turn yeah. off customers. Yeah. Yeah. That's another reason to have on the go... Mm-hmm. the drive-through, curbside, and delivery, because there are different paces for different customers. So, Nigel, take us through what the Duncan experience you envision will, have, will be like t- three years from now versus current day. Okay, so, um, well, okay, so let me give you an example from another company where I work, Papa John's. Um, I, when I joined Papa John's, I'd just come off going dead against Netflix in Blockbuster. We introduced Blockbuster Online. We were taking a million customers a month from Netflix. So I was really into online. And, and Blockbuster was a, was a very important experience for me because 
every day I woke up worried about what was going to kill us off today. Mm. I mean, I won't go through that whole story, mm. but it's fascinating, but was really educational for me. So when I got to Papa John's, I looked at what we were doing with on, online pizza ordering. We were spending like 2% of our marketing dollars. It was about 5% of the orders. So we really focused on it. And we did things uh, like we, we uh, sponsored a, bowl, a bowl, the papajohns.com bowl. Uh, and the whole idea was to mm. build up the idea of people ordering online. And by the time I left, which was four years later, it was 30%. And as you know now, it's like an unstoppable train because all the pizza businesses are over 60%. So what do I think is going to happen in our business? Well, I think digital will be much more important. One issue, and a lot of analysts get this wrong, people often say, well, why isn't your on-the-go or mobile ordering as high as Starbucks? The simple reason is we're so fast anyway. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you sit in a Dunkin' Donuts, mm -hmm. and I do this mm -hmm. a lot. I just sit there and watch customers. I mean, it's, yep. you know, yep. it's, right. it's amazing what you learn by just mm -hmm. sitting there and watching. And, I, and I, I think of one example. I was in a small New York store, which wasn't much bigger than this room, mm -hmm. which I think we'd all agree is fairly small. Um, and I was sitting there, and customers came in. Most of the time, the crew knew what the customer wanted because they had the same every day. They just came in. They were going in and out like that. I mean, they couldn't be any faster even if they did on the go. So we're fast anyway. We don't have the blockages which some of our competitors have. <laughs> so I think you'll still have that, but there'll be a lot of on the go. I think we'll have a new store design that we're working on that'll be transformative. Um, it'll be very contemporary. It'll be fun because going back to your mm -hmm. question about the DNA, mm -hmm. I never met um, Rosenberg, but I met his son. But I wow. think I'd say that yep. Duncan's never taken itself that seriously. Mm -hmm. We've always had this slight touch of humor. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, and it's very important, we don't take ourselves too seriously. This is not a serious business. People come to Dunkin' to be woken up. They want to. By the way, speaking about humor, I, I don't know if you saw it, Larry, but the Saturday Night Live version of yeah. Casey Affleck yeah. as, the, as, as sort of the, the tough <laughs> Dunkin' customer is one of the great all-time marketing pieces. I don't know where you can use that. Have you, have you seen that? Uh, well, no. We, yeah. we, so, so here's the story. They came to us and said, look, we'd like you to close down a store for a day. We can film it. So we said, well, <laughs> we think that's a bit much. But we will help you. We'll give you yep. products. We'll help you however we can. Yep. But, but the point I want to make yep. is that we don't take ourselves seriously, mm -hmm. too seriously. I mean, Dunkin' is about getting people on the go in the morning, touch of humor. That was funny. That yeah, was actually great. a great And, and it's amazing. Everyone seems to have seen it. Yeah. And, and these days, you don't just watch it the first time. Yep. It gets repeated over and over. Exactly. And obviously, I go to England a lot. They've all seen it over there. <laughs> So, so, so speaking a little bit about the future, Amazon has purchased Whole Foods. Yeah. What does that represent to people like you and I in terms of where the future of food is going? You know, when you stand back and look at what Jeff has done, mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. I mean, um, you know, there's been many transformative technologies in the world, but this is really about retailing. I mean, he he has revolutionized everything we do. I mean, I'm a soccer coach as well as owning a soccer team. And everything I buy now, I buy it from Amazon. I mean, if I want a new simple thing, a needle to blow up balls, 
That's Where it. do I go? Go to yeah. Amazon. Right. Exactly. I don't have to remember it. I just say, I want it, order it there <laughs> and then. So I think Amazon's made our thinking go, go that way. I think another thing that's very important is in the early days of their uh, time running Whole Foods, they reduced several prices um, and they took them down, some of them by 75%. Already our industry is facing this dilemma that food at the grocery store can be cheaper than food mm-hmm. in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So that's the challenge. So I think we've got to constantly focus on value. And something we've discussed with our franchisees is, you know, value is very important. Um, in the summer time, we had this two for $2 wake up wrap, which... Which is great, it's everywhere. Well, and you told me you've been using it. At the airport, two for two bucks. Yeah. How, know, how, how, how can go wrong, right? But, yeah. but the point is, I think Amazon is going to drive even more value yeah. because what's happening is it's like a mm-hmm. pressure from the top. Amazon puts pressure on Walmart. Walmart puts pressure on Target. They then put pressure on, let's say, the national grocery chains like Kroger. Mm-hmm. And then the national grocery chains put pressure on the local stores like Roche mm-hmm. Brothers. Right, mm-hmm. And then that obviously puts pressure on restaurants. So we've all got to respond. So I I think this is going to be, and you asked me what I think, this Mm -hmm. is going to be probably the most transformative event of the two or three years. Talk about disruptive. Now, I just want to get back to something you said earlier. Who is your customer today, and how how do you feel they're going to change in the near future? If you look at our demographics, it's, it's probably slightly surprising. It is slightly skewed female. But it's, mm. it's very much 50 50. It's like 51 mm. 49. It is right across every age group. Um, we seem to have increased our number of millennials in the last year or so, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but as I said earlier, we've got many people who are you know, pretty aged. I mean, I'm old, but even older than me. <laughs> um, and I always remember a conversation two Christmases ago. I was in a store in Boston with a franchisee. And there was these two ladies in there, and I'd, I'd guess their average age was about 87. Mm-hmm. So I said to these ladies, what are you doing in Dunkin' Donuts in the afternoon? And they said, well, thank you for asking, dear. <laughs> um, they said, we come here for the Wi-Fi. For I the said, Wi-Fi. really? Wow. They said, yeah, wow. we can't get onto our iPads at home. We need the Wi-Fi here. Wow. So we wow. come here, we have our coffee and a donut, and we do our Wi-Fi. So... I mean, that shows... So, shows that's kind of, so for them, that's really a destination. It is. Yes. But it's, yeah. Uh, now, I don't think of us as a destination. I think of us as convenience. Most of our customers want to come in and go. And when we look to the future, going back to your earlier question, we want to be America's most loved, beverage-led, on-the-go mm. brand. Try and mm. remember that several times. But uh, that's, that's what we want to be. So the key is we want to be loved, and we have huge loyalty, we won the Brankey's Loyalty Award 11 years in a row. We want to be beverage-led, which came out of all this research and mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. tells us, has told us what the customers want. But on the go is the key thing. And everything I've talked about today about convenience and the whole digital initiative is around that. Let's talk about coffee for a minute because coffee is the lead beverage. And I remember having a conversation once with uh, uh, with Bob Rosenberg about uh, coffee, and I said, "Gee, your your blend is really great." And he goes, "You know, the blend is very good." He said, "But the thing that makes it really popular is the consistency and the temperature." How do you respond to that? Yeah, well, I, 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 
I, I think that's absolutely right. And uh, what most people don't know is I think if you went out, went out and did a survey, um, we try and maintain the heat and the freshness more than anyone else. We throw out any unused coffee that's in the carafe every 18 minutes. Does it, uh, that doesn't become iced coffee? Uh, no, 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 okay. no. You All can right. make it iced coffee, but anyway, that's no. So most other chains, mm -hmm. most other well-known chains mm -hmm. in our space, mm -hmm. the, the number is 30 minutes. So, oh. you know, you could actually criticize us for not pushing that point enough, but, but the consistency is the fact that it's always freshly brewed, uh, it's always freshly ground, uh, and we don't hold it for more than 18 minutes. Now, as, as you know, running a, a, a operation, uh, when you've got a lot of franchisees, and we've got 1,100 Dunkin' franchisees in this country alone, wow. you know, that wow. needs a big infrastructure to make sure that we mm -hmm. have the consistency. And I think we've become much more focused. And for instance, one of the things we did a couple of months ago is have a whole month where we're just focused on coffee. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very easy to go out and do operational checks, and I've done it mm -hmm. in Burger King, Blockbuster, or wherever. Occasionally, you just need to focus and say, we're going to focus on maintaining what is the core, which is our coffee, as you say. Mm -hmm. and, and I think overall, we do a good job, but in my job, I'm never happy. Talk about the relationship between Duncan and Baskin Robbins. Okay, so, so that's, that's a really interesting question. So um, I think the two brands, just to give everyone a little bit of background, are similar in one way. They've both got this great heritage, mm -hmm. but one started in California, Glendale, California, and one started in Quincy, Massachusetts. Um, and then they came together under Allied Demec, mm -hmm. Um, and they've stayed together. Uh, as you know, we were, we were taken private in 2006. I came in in 2009. We went public in 2011, et cetera, et cetera. Um, outside the US, Baskin-Robbins, in terms of profitability, is probably 10 times the profitability of Dunkin' Donuts. Really? It mm. is the power brand internationally. Um, oh. And one of my biggest challenges is really getting Dunkin' to go internationally in a profitable way. Um, in the US, we have about 2,500 stores. Most of the stores are run by um, entrepreneurs who have one or two stores. Amazing statistic is 70% of the Baskin franchisees run a shift. Hmm. So, so they work in their stores, uh, whereas the Dunkin average, so one, one or two stores for Baskin, it's eight stores for Dunkin. Right. So Dunkin's a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. I think when I go back through history, um, managements do things that people remember. Uh, there was a time before John Luther came in where the management at the time had a report and suggested that they put in three brands under one roof, which was Baskin Robbins, Dunkin Donuts, and Togo's, which was a sandwich oh, right. chain. Togo's from right. California, right? Yeah. 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 And an interesting but useless fact is we've still got <laughs> we 80. We like useless facts. We, we still got 80 Togo Baskin combos. Really? Um, I know that. Yeah. Nor, nor do most people in our business. But, uh, so why, why, did, why did Togo's leave the scene? Well, well, so what happened, they tried to put it in these mm. big boxes, but what it forced franchisees to do was to buy these big boxes. And that was not a good real estate strategy. And the whole idea, of course, was you could come breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I see. But 
Togo's wasn't really strong enough. Mm. And then part of it also caused a little bit of resentment against Baskin Robbins because they were forced to do it. You know, one of the things we may talk about later is the relationship with franchisees. That's right. Yeah. And I think if you just tell franchisees the way you're going to do it, you don't get buy-in. That's what happened. Mm. And that caused a little bit of anti-Baskin Robbins fervor. Now, we have a group of people in Duncan who aren't particularly in favor of Baskin Robbins because of that history. Uh-huh. But we have a lot who are so excited because the Baskin Robbins adds true unit economics mm-hmm. to the Duncan box. And that's in places like Chicago, New York, Detroit, Baltimore. You know, they're really excited about having the combos. Yeah, so let me ask you, we, you brought the word franchise a lot today. And one of the questions I ask you, Nigel, is what's it like to be a 100% franchise model? You know, your challenges, your tension, uh, possibly fear of losing control. But how do you keep them happy? And how do you ensure that they buy in to what you want to do? Because, you know, your model is 100% franchise. Yeah, and... So just be clear what that means. It means that basically we leave the running of all the stores to the franchisees. Um, We obviously have responsibility for coming up with the branding, the marketing ideas, the operational practices, and we take a royalty, in our case a relatively good royalty for it. Uh, They put money into an ad fund, which is way over 400 million, which I think you'd agree is a fairly sizable ad fund. Um, the Baskin Robbins size is much smaller. It's just about 30 million. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would say is most people would not like running a franchise business mm-hmm. because if you think about it, in most companies, if you come up with a new product, say you come up with a new cup with a coffee in, mm-hmm. you typically go to the head of operations and say, in marketing, we've come up with this. What do you think of that? Yeah, good idea or bad idea. And then they go and implement. Well, we have 1,100 people to get mm-hmm. to buy into that. So your question's a good one. I think we've created a culture around several things. One is we're very focused on franchise profitability. Um, our franchisees have also managed to build businesses that they can pass on through generations. And in some of our uh, franchises are the third generation now, mm-hmm. which I think is great. It's great mm-hmm. for the American economy. Many of them are immigrants from either India or Portugal. We've got a lot mm-hmm. of Portuguese in this area. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that's great for the economy. But the key thing is you have to understand how franchisees work. You have to make sure you listen. Mm-hmm. Listen is a key word. Mm-hmm. If they're engaged, understand what you're doing, they will give you the freedom to go out and do what's right. But they have to be engaged. And engagement isn't. This is your marketing plan for the next month. Implement Executive it. Form, yeah. You've really got to get them to understand it. I personally like dealing with franchisees. But I think if you lined up 100 executives, I bet you wouldn't find 10 who would like dealing with franchisees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the give and take. Um, do we have arguments? Sure. But the thing is, what you've done is you've gained the trust and respect yeah. because they know that you have their best interests at heart. What are you doing? So naturally, you're investing in your people. You're making them rock stars at Dunkin' Donuts, but you don't want them to leave. Well, I, actually, that's a great question. In our industry, and I think everyone knows this, we have huge labor turnover. Now, remember, we don't run our stores, but the mm. industry number, so this is not mm. a Dunkin' number, the industry number is 150%. Mm-hmm. Yearly? Yeah. So think about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, think yeah, of the yeah, disruption yeah, that yeah, causes. Right, right. Yeah, right. And, and with it, the labor shortage we currently have, it's probably going to go up. Mm-hmm. So... I have a meeting with our Baskin Robbins Vietnam franchisee. 
mm-hmm. and they've done a great job. They've been very successful. So I said, so what's the key to your success? Low labor turnover. I said, well, what's your labor turnover? 2%. I said, I don't believe it. So he said, okay, here's the numbers. Many of us would kill for those numbers. Yeah. Right. Right. Wow. So, so wow. even if he's wrong, and it's 10 mm-hmm. times, right. 20% would die for him. But 2% right. is like right. zero. Yeah. Zero. Right. So I said to him. Are they indentured? I said, how do you do it? And it ties back to that quote. He said, we train people every month. We tie them into the goals of the business. We pay them according to the goals of the business. Mm-hmm. We pay them about 10% above the average. But we have team events. We let them go out and do bowling together or whatever. Hmm. I mean, all simple stuff. There's nothing clever Basically, about it. Basically, they're creating a sense of community. Yeah. So back to your question. So basically, I have corporate people that I have to motivate, but they're not necessarily all in Canton, where our headquarters is. Right. So we spend a lot of time communicating. You know, I spend more time having microphones on me mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. not. So we do, we do webcasts. We do videos. We have this very open style where at the end of a quarter, so this happens every quarter, we do the earnings call in the morning, I then speak to what I call the written press, you know, people like the Boston Globe or uh, Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. And then we do three videos for the franchisees, one for International, one for Dunkin' US and one for Baskin. It's tailored for each of the three organizations. And then we have an employee webcast. So we go through the key things from the earnings, we're honest, say that wasn't very good or that was good. Mm-hmm. And then the key thing is encouraging the questions. When I first got to the company, we'd struggle for a question. Mm-hmm. Now, I sometimes have to record extra videos to answer all the questions. Mm-hmm. That's engagement. That's right, I was gonna say, mm-hmm. they're, they're into you emotionally, all right. Yeah, and then the other thing we That's do, great. people who come to our office are always pleasantly surprised. A we've managed to create an environment where people seem to enjoy being there. So there's a lot of smiles and mm-hmm. fun and it's kind of a little bit relaxed. But we also have all these free donuts, free coffee, free ice cream. It's everything, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I mean, some people say, how do you live with this? That's a question I get a lot. Yeah. No, no, it's not how you live with it. Yeah. How do you not gain all the weight? Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> that's what they really mean. Yeah. So, but, but that means they tie into our products. Right. And, and I think it's those two things, and and I do a weekly voicemail to everyone, which I think is mm-hmm. very important, because I think too few organizations tell their people enough about mm-hmm. what's going on, so how can they know how to do their job? Right. And, 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 so, and it's not always just about business. I sometimes talk to them about my workout routine and how I think it's important to work out. Or I might talk to them about uh, when I bought the soccer team, I explained why I bought it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you have to be very open, and that's that helps people buy in. And I think also what they do is, but with your communications, your engagement, they sense that Nigel's a real person. You know, we can talk to him, we can ask him questions. He's a part of us, regardless of your title. You're on the you're on the same team. But if you asked and, me what I would do in a corporate America if I had one thing to do, I'd get rid of every title. Yeah, mm-hmm. because you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think. You know, we're all working here. So, so Nigel, here we are together in a, in a podcast that hopefully will live on for a period of time. What is it that you would like to communicate to Duncan customers mm-hmm. that they may not know about, uh, they may not hear about, read about, that you want to tell them directly? Firstly, thank them for their business. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I go to lots of uh, parties and functions and everyone comes up with their Duncan story. The good thing is most of them are good stories. Mm-hmm. Um, people are very interested in the company, so we appreciate that. So I think what I'd like to say is that, you know, the brand's going to continue to evolve and that we're trying to meet the consumer needs. Doesn't always work out, but that's our attempt. You know, we're trying to do what the customer wants. Um, we appreciate their engagement because we have an incredibly engaged um, customer base. You know, mm-hmm. we get lots of tweets and Instagrams, you name it. Uh, social media is very important to them. Uh, and we try and take all those points on board. And I think the last thing I'd like them to know, um, particularly in this part of the world, is that we have a wonderful other brand called Baskin Robbins that some people, particularly in the Northeast, have forgotten about. So, so we need to think about how we get Baskin Robbins back to the Northeast and, and go against some of the other brands here. What would you say about Baskin Robbins? You know, what, what is their category? What distinctiveness about their brand makes it so attractive to consumers? Well, okay, so thanks for the spontaneous question, but I have a ready-made answer to this one. Um, okay. Of is, course. <laughs> I, I called them last night. Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't. But, uh, I know you didn't. So, so what I'd say is that this is what Baskin Robbins is to me. I'm going to tell you a story. A few years ago, I took my family to Japan, which is mm-hmm. one of our great Baskin Robbins markets. Remember I said earlier Baskin Robbins mm-hmm. was really strong in international? Mm-hmm. And we were in Kyoto, a great university town. And it was about 8.30 at night, and I went into a Baskin-Robbins, and it was full of young people, predominantly young ladies. And they were all chatting, had their phones up, you know, as young people Mm -hmm. do. And they all had different flavors of ice cream. Baskin-Robbins is about romance, it's the way I describe it, romancing the flavors. You know, it's not just... Hmm. 31 I would flavors. Agree. I, when I think of Baskin right. Robbins, I think of a myriad of different flavors. Yeah. A bunch of concoctions. Yeah. 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 Here's yeah. a number yeah. for you. Yeah. We've got actually 1,300 different wow. flavors. 1,300? Wow. Yeah. It's not just 31. I always uh, assumed that 31 was a standard in every uh, shop. No. And, and, you know, we could probably do a better job in some parts of the world making sure we've got the Asian flavors that meet their mm-hmm. taste mm-hmm. profile because taste profiles do change. I mean, Coming from England, I've got a much more savory taste profile than, say, my wife, who right. thinks me eating Marmite and, uh, and <laughs> products like that is dreadful. Um, but that's the English taste profile. Right. Um, so it is romancing the flavors. So mm-hmm. the, key, the word is romancing is important mm-hmm. because what they do that's in right. Japan is they tell the story behind the flavor. Uh, if you see an ad... In uh-huh. Japan, yep. it will tell the story of this particular flavor. There's, a, there's ice cream place in Falmouth, Massachusetts, in the Cape. And the summer, they do have lobster ice cream, and there's pieces of lobster in the ice I cream. I had something at the Cape maybe five years ago. I was going down for a wedding, stopped at a Dunkin'. They had coffee soft serve. It was the best flavor I ever had. I've never seen it replicated anywhere. I went back trying to find it. They didn't have it. Coffee soft serve is a well, sweet spot. It's, I just, just as it, a, it, you know. It's an interesting, some of our Dunkins do have soft serve ice cream in. And it was interesting, this morning I had a meeting with the gentleman who runs International. He thinks soft serve is a real opportunity in some countries, so. I absolutely would endorse it, but get more in Massachusetts, please. Yeah. Hey, we have something called the lightning round. 
where we ask just you know quick questions, yep. quick answers, going back you. and forth, because <laughs> we just want to know stuff. So, Larry, don't ask him about his philosophy on life. Right, no, we're no. Just, gonna get, uh, just uh, some uh, quick questions here. Here, here, tell us his philosophy on life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, quick question. What is the single most popular coffee order? Oh, Dunkin' Original. Black cream sugar? Oh, uh, uh, I'd say, oh, that's a good question. Uh, black with cream. Okay. What, that's, what? that's what they call regular here. The regular in the Northeast <laughs> means sugar as well, which is not what it means elsewhere. Okay. What's the number one donut you guys are selling? Uh, I think it's glazed. Glazed? Yeah. Not Boston cream, huh? No. <laughs> Why can't we get a Dunkin' a pumpkin flavor year-round? Uh... Good question. We've been asked that many times, and I think we would lose the resonance of bringing it out in the fall to, because one of the things we try and do, and this goes back to personalization, mm -hmm. but a higher level, people think about the fall in a different way, mm -hmm. and we try and make sure that our products reflect the seasonality. Okay. Fair as enough. far as driving new revenue streams, you have K-Cups, you have cold brew. What's next on the horizon? Well, ready to drink, I think, is really exciting. That came out this year. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think um, nitro could be really what, explain what nitro is. Yeah. Well, basically, the best way of describing nitro is a bit like Guinness. It's got mm -hmm. some gas in it, and it's cold brew, and, and it's pure like Guinness. I mean, think about it as a coffee Guinness. That's the way to describe it. It has gas in it? It has gas in it, yeah. Wow. Wow. I, and, I, I, and, but, I thought that was how just long the name. And I'm how long does it take to brew it? Um, well, basically, it's, it's the cold brew is, is brewed overnight. Right. And then it's pumped in with the gas. Um, but, um, but so does the gas get so it through so your bloodstream kind of that much faster? Huh? Does the, does the gas get it through your bloodstream that much faster? Uh, I've never thought about that. So. <laughs> Gluten-free. Tried it. Didn't work. Okay. Fruits. Are you looking to expand healthy fruits and vegetables you know, with the purchase? Great question. Nigel Travis, that's me, is the product champion of fruit. I don't always succeed going back to my, but I got bananas in most stores. I think we They're should sell it out. I think we should do more. Um, the supply of them is a little bit of a distribution chain is a little bit of a problem, but I, I certainly think we should. Worst product launch of your tenure. Worst product launch of my tenure. Oh, we had a sandwich that was too complicated. Okay. I think it was the egg Benedict sandwich, but something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was too complicated. So the lesson is keep things simple. You know, we're Absolutely. about fast and convenience. Yeah. yeah. And what, what's your favorite donut? Personally? Oh, I'm boring. I'm, I like glazed donuts. Most unique Duncan location. <sighs> well, okay. So we got a vending machine that's just been launched in Lovefield Airport. So. So vending could be an interesting option oh, for the future. Oh, so what geographic area in the world are you not in that it's the next place you're going to conquer? So I think the way I'd answer that is I think China is an interesting challenge. Starbucks has done a good job, but the number of cups of coffee a year that Chinese consume is three compared with 100 in the U.S. The challenge for all of, everyone in China is how to get that up. So I'd say even though we're there, we've got like 40 stores. We could have hundreds and thousands. Mm -hmm. So I think the geography of China is much bigger than going to a new country. So the average uh, consumption rate in the U.S. now for, for coffee is how much? 100 cups a 100 year. 100 cups a year. 
Okay, and that seems to be growing. Is that what your data is showing? Yes. I think we, we will continue to grow because unlike most of our competitors, including McDonald's, mm -hmm. uh, we think we can double our footprint in the US. You know, we're a development machine. Mm -hmm. The real successes of Dunkin' is to get franchisees to open more stores across the country. And we think that we can take our over 8,000 or nearly 9,000 stores now in the US and, and double it. And I think that's the real challenge. In what time period? I think in the next 15, 20 years. Yeah. Hey, that's I'll great. be playing golf more yeah. with you, Larry. Then. You're right. <laughs> we, Nigel, we, great conversation. Yeah. Roger, thank, thank you. you it's been much. super. You really know, I have to say, that. you know, Jack Welch has a saying, if you don't change the game, the game's going to change you. And really, as a brand champion, you are really changing the game. You know, we talk the words mm -hmm. bold, disruptive, but you're living it. You're doing it. And it's showing, you know. And it's like anything else. Like Roger's always talking about his business. What happened 10, three years ago isn't working today. You know, unless you're abreast of what's happening with your audience, the styles, the, the consumer behavior, you're going to be dead in the water. And you're, you're such a forward-thinking visionary that, you know, this, this conversation today was very enlightening and uh, continued success, and uh, you're killing it. So um, big well, congrats. Well, well, thank you. And uh, we, we can never be, never be satisfied. But remember, I learned my lessons at Blockbuster. And when did you last go into a Blockbuster? <laughs> That's and, and next time we speak to you, we expect your uh, football team to go another division up. Uh, we're in third place as I sit here. Thank you. Awesome. Okay.